This is a sheer on Likutei Sichis Dvarim, the book twenty-four, Chelik of Dalid, Dvarim Aleph. On the pasuk that it says Be'ayverayardim Beretz Mayav, on the other side of the Jordan River in the land of Mayav Hayil, Moshe Be'eres Atiras Islam, Moshe Rabbeinu began to explain this Torah, saying. So our, our sages expound on this that Beshivim Loshin Pirshalei Moshe Rabbeinu explained it to them in seventy languages. Similarly, a little bit later, before they cross over the Yarden, Moshe told them, It will be when you cross over the Jordan River, etc. And you will write on the stones that you take out from the Yarden. It's called It's all the words of this Torah. Well explained. And I say, our sages tell us, Well explained means that it should be written in 70 languages. This contrasts very starkly with, this, with the story that we have I think many of you may have heard a story in a bit of a different version. We'll get to that other version. But the Rebbe is quoting here from a Meseches Seifrim. It's one of those Mesechtes, one of those tractates. It's called Mesechtes Ketanis. They're a small group of tractates that give us individual and, and uh, um, a comp- compilation of halachas. And this is a story brought in a Mesechet Seifrim, which teaches as follows. There's a story with... A, five Zikanim with five elders, that they wrote to Talmai the king the Torah into Greek, and it was a difficult day for the Jewish people, just like the day that the eagle, that the golden calf was made. For the Torah was not able to be, I'm going to say it in, in, in the Hebrew, lihitargem kol tzorka. litagem kol tzorka. The Torah was not able to be translated in all of its needs, literally. But kol tzorka means fully. Exactly. To translate the Torah exactly, literally, into another language is not possible. And therefore, when they were instructed and ordered to translate the Torah into Greek, it was a difficult day because they had to write the Torah in a way that wouldn't be fully translated literally, but it doesn't really translate literally. So we don't understand. The fact that Meshach Rabbeinu explained them the Torah in 70 languages, and moreover, the fact that it says right on the stones... In the 70 languages, this tells us that there's something, there's an advantage, there's some benefit in translating the Torah into different languages. So why do we say that the translation of the Torah into Greek is a, is a difficult day? Not just a difficult day, it's a very difficult day. Why do we say it's a difficult day? Moreover, we have to understand the reasoning here. We say, because the Torah can't translate literally the way it's supposed to into another language. Oh, one second, Moshe have been already translated into 70 languages. So, Hello? So why is it a difficult day when it's translated by, into Greek? It's difficult to say that in Masech the Seferim, in that tractate, it means that it's difficult, only the Greek aspect is difficult, not the other 70 languages, but it's difficult to say that. But first of all, 70 languages includes Greek. If it's already been translated into 70 languages, that means Greek is one of them. On the other hand, the Masech the Seferim doesn't say that Torah doesn't translate into Greek. It says the Torah doesn't translate easily or properly, literally. So it doesn't have to do with Greek, it has to do with every language. But the Torah is already translated into every language. And three, on the contrary, we find in other places that the Greek language has an advantage, according to Rabbi Shimon and Gamliel, and that's what the halach is, the 24 books of the Torah Shavik the Bible, needs to be written only in Lashon HaKodesh, in Hebrew, if you wanted to read it from the Torah or the way it's read, the way it's used. No other language except for Greek. Technically, the Torah can be written into Greek. That's the language it translates best into. 
So how do we say a difficult day when it's translated to Greek? Number four, moreover, Yerushalmi says that they found that the Torah cannot be translated properly, literally, only into Greek. <laughs> so why is it so difficult? So why are we saying it's a difficult day when the Torah was translated into Greek? The main question is, when the Braise, Masech Tesefim says, it was a difficult day for the Jewish people, like the day the golden calf was made. Hello, the golden calf was one of the cardinal sins that we did. The fact that the Torah can't be fully translated, okay, it may be a problem, but is it that bad that you would compare it to the day and the time of the making of the calf? It seems a little bit um, radical. Base, chapter, paragraph two. This previous law shine, this expression, like the day the Ega was made, we find in several other places. We find it in Masech the Shabbos regarding that the day that Shammai and his students overpowered and overwhelmed in a majority way Hillel and his students. And it says that day there were many things decided according to the opinion of Shammai. And the language of the Gemara says is, on that day, Hillel was bent over and sitting humbly before Shammai, just like one of the students. Continues the Gemara, was difficult for the Jewish people, like the day that the eagle was made. Wow, that's a powerful statement. Rashi says, what does it mean? It was a difficult day, just like the eagle. He says, difficult. Because Hillel was the leader of the Sanhedrin. He was the prince. He was the absolute leader, even on top of Shammai, in hierarchy in the Sanhedrin. But, or in the, uh, the yeshiva, the, the, yeah, but, and, and he was humble. How do we understand that, says the Rebbe? The fact that he was the prince, the leader of the body, of the yeshiva, of the Beisdin, that's a reason why it was difficult, okay, because he's the leader and he's sitting humbly, submitting himself before Shammai, who's the next in command, but not the leader. Shammai was the Av Beisdin. Hilla was the Nasi. Uh, Nasi was, the, was like the president of the presidium. The Av Beisdin was like I don't want to say prime minister, use that word, whatever, but, you know, Avbezdin, he was the head of the Beisdin. That's a lower position than Nasi. So that, when Rashi says it was a difficult day, and he says because Hillel was the leader, I can understand why that makes it difficult. For the leader to be displaced in some way, and sit humbly before the second in charge, wow, that's a difficult day. Something's going off kilter here. But the second detail with Rashi says, and he was a humble person, that just explains how he was able to be submissive before Shammai. Why does that make that a difficult day? So some Mepharshim say that the co- combination here is because it's um, because they rejected, they spurned Hillel, who was a leader and also humble. In other words, and this will also explain why it's compared to the day that the golden calf was made, because that was the day that, that Moshe Rabbein was spurned. They said, Moshe's no longer here, let's make something. And Moshe was the leader, the Nasi, and humble. In other words, the humble is really Moshe's um, thing. So being spurned, spurning such a great person who's both a leader and humble, like Moshe's described, and like Hillel's described, that's a difficult day. So this is, however, a difficult uh, thing. It's not enough of explanation, because even if you want to compare the spurning, say it's about the spurning of Hillel being compared to the spurning of Moshe, but to say that it's like 
I mean, spurning Moshe meant that they were going to make something in his stead. They were going to move on to idolatrous uh, calf worship. But spurning Hillel? I mean, the day that the, that the eagle was made, which is what this is being compared to, the spurning of Hillel, is, is idolatry. It's not that the Gemara says we're comparing this day to the day that Moshe was spurned, that Moshe was rejected. Hillel's rejected. It reminds us of the day Moshe was No, we say it reminds us of the day the eagle was made. It seems like it's somehow connected to the idolatry of the, of the, of the golden calf. So here, paragraph 3, the Rebbe brings a totally new look at this. Says the Rebbe, we could say that the explanation is as follows. First, let's, preface, let's take a closer look at the language in both of these statements. Both the Mesech Seferim and the Mesech Shabbos, where they're correlating it to the day the golden calf was made, it doesn't say the day the golden calf was served, or the day of the sin of the golden calf. It says it's like the day that the golden calf was made. Now, if you look historically, simply speaking, the day that the Ega, that the golden calf was actually worshipped in a sinful way, was the day after it was made. As it says that on the day that they made the golden calf and after they finished it, Aaron announced it's going to be a holiday for Hashem tomorrow. Let's do this service tomorrow. In other words, what Aaron was using as a tactic was delaying the actual service of the golden calf. He was sure that Moshe will come and they're going to serve Hashem. So when did the real sin take place? The real sin took place the next day when they got up early in the morning. As we know, it says that their Yetzirah, their evil inclination, got the better of them. Usually it's a holiday. You sleep in. They got up early and they started to offer up their things to the golden calf. And when we say that it's difficult, like the day that the eagle was made, what does it mean? It means that the difficulty is in the fact, not the making of the eagle. What's so bad about the day the eagle was made? The day the golden calf was made, it's... Severity is not its actual being made because that could have turned itself still. If as Aaron had planned, Moshe would have come, it would indeed have been a, a festival to Hashem the next day. They would have served Hashem. Moshe would have come and pulled away the veneer and the mistake and the reality would have popped out that there's only one Hashem. You've got to burn up this eagle as the Rebbe will, will uh, spell out a little bit later. So the day that the eagle was made, its problematicness, its difficulty, its harshness is that it's the day that prepares for the tomorrow's mistake of idolatry. Paragraph 4. Similarly, when we talk about the translation of the Torah, that we say that Talmai the king ordered the Torah to be translated into Greek, the Pirushim Esachta Seifrim is, it says the Torah can't be translated literally, properly, fully, which means that to totally and literally translate the Torah, if somebody asks you to translate the Torah literally, it's not possible to give over the message of the Torah in that way. The Torah doesn't translate literally like that. The, 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 the fallacy in that is, it leaves room for making a mistake in the reading. In other words, when Talmai will later on read the Torah in the Greek, and it's translated literally. It's possible that there are certain places where the literal translation won't give the meaning in its full sense. And more than that, he'll understand something different than the actual intention. 
That's why we find that when the 72, we're going to explain one of the things a little bit later. One of the, I'll just put it in now. means in the beginning. Hashem. In the, let's translate this literally, right? Bereshis, in the beginning, Bara created Elikim, Hashem. If you read that very literally in, 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 the, in the Greek translation, it could give off the impression that there's some entity called the beginning, a deity that creates another deity called Elikim. That's a problem. So when we translate automatically, what we do when we translate into a language is we elucidate, we interpolate, we interpolate the meaning. We therefore translate not the beginning created God. We, we translate in the beginning God created. We put the Elohim in this in English, we put the God before created. And that changes, that gives us the proper meaning. So later on when, if, if the 72 sages were taken and locked up in different cubicles, because how are they going to, Talmai wanted a literal translation. If you put all the 72 sages together and tell them to translate, he understands that they will translate it according to, <laughs> with the variations, I shouldn't say variations, because they're not deviations, with the nuances that a language needs to be adapted, need to be adapted into the language you're translating to. Right? Try Google Translate. Google Translate, some really weird things can come out. Because translate each word literally. Okay, they've gotten with the, with the AI, of course, they've gotten better. Now they can you know, create sentences and rearrange the words. But still, go with Google Translate, word by word, you're going to come out with funny stuff. Similarly, the 72 people are locked up. Tom, I want them to, to give a little translation, so he locks them up separately. They can't, they, can't, they can't talk to each other. But they made 13 differences. And they all had the same difference. God put them in the Holy Spirit. They all said the same differences. So later when he reads, if he reads, the, the difficulty of that day is that we have to translate it and doesn't translate it literally. And if we translate literally today, tomorrow, it could be Talmud will make a mistake. So Hashem therefore placed into the, into the heart of each and every one of them that they all decided to make the 13 changes. And they didn't translate the Torah in what would be called called Tzorka in its full, proper Translation, literally. Yeah. And in this, the Rebbe quotes us to 36, R36 with a star. The Rishalmi does say that the Torah can only be translated fully and properly into Greek. Um, what does that mean? How can the, how can the Torah be translated into Greek, if we're saying here that, that not. So the Rebbe here sends to Ha'ara 75, and um, let's be mindful of that. The Rebbe says in Ha'ara 75, let's take a quick peek, that when that we could say that the Talmud, when the Yerushalmi says <clears throat> that it can't be translated, it can only be translated into Greek in the most effective way, that's already after those 13 changes. Once there's the 13 changes, now the language that has been adapted that can most adequately translate Teda is the Greek. Because it's been redacted, so to speak, the Greek version, to be able to perfectly fit the Teda. Anyway, let's come back into the text. So what's the problem with translating the Teda? Translating, it's a difficult day just like the eagle. The problem is not today. Today they didn't worship the eagle. The problem is tomorrow what comes out of it. 
So that's that's the point. That is the point. Continues the Rebbe. That the day, therefore, that they translated the Torah into Greek was a difficult day because that could lead to a misinterpretation of the Torah. Paragraph 5. In a similar vein, we could say that this is also the difficulty of Hillel standing, sitting submissively before Shammai. The fact that on that day they decreed that the, the holding and swaying and carrying opinion of the day will be Shammai, that's not such a difficult thing. Hillel was quiet, which means that he admitted to Shammai's reasoning, and he didn't stand his ground in terms of his opinion, which means he exceeded. Okay? So he also agrees that the halacha on that day was going to be in those instances, I think it was 18 things, was going to be like Shammai. Main difficulty is the fact that later there can be a, a mistake. On that day where Hillel sits submissively, there can be born a mistake, technically it could be, the sages were worried, be born a mistake that maybe Shammai's word will carry the day in the future. And we know that that's not what the future way of deciding Allah is. Rather we say that when there's an opinion of a Shammai, an opinion of a Hillel, the opinion of a Shammai doesn't carry any ground. You know, it's an interesting thing. Today, in Shulchan Aruch, when we have a more lenient opinion, a more uh, um, stringent opinion, often there's a halachic decision that says, you can rely on this and be more lenient. For those that want to be more stringent, good, go ahead, be more stringent. With Beisham and Beisil, it does not at all exist that way. You know the story of Masech Tebrachis, where Reb Tarfin says, I was going to do like Beisham, and I lay down when I was traveling to read the Shema, because it says, when you lay down, and Hillel said, you, you should, the Chachamim told him, you should have lost your life, actually. Because even though Shammai says that, Hillel already says, B'shachva means not when you lie down. The Shema has to be read at the time of lying down, at night. So somebody's not allowed to be stringent like Shammai? No. When Shammai and Basil argue, the halacha is like Basil, when there's a halacha in the Mishnah that's paskin in one way, the other opinion is not followed even to be stringent. Ah, but that may be lost. It may happen that because Hillel was sitting submissively the day that that took place, that Shammai's ruling was followed and Hillel was sitting submissively, the Chacham said that's a difficult day because maybe in the future that will also be adapted, adopted. We can say that this is also what Rashi means to add by saying that Hillel was the leader and he was humble. Rashi is explaining the difficulty. Why is the halacha like Beis Hillel? It's a fascinating thing. The halacha is like Beis Hillel because he's the leader, he's the Nasi, and because he's humble. Okay, the one who, who, who we, who Judid, who, who, whom we follow with regard to halacha, we understand is the Nasi. And that's even over his um, next in command, which is the Av Basin, the leader of the Basin, which was Hillel in this case. But also, the fact that he's humble, that's also a reason the halacha follows him. The Gemara says, why was Beishamah and Beisila, why is the halacha mostly like Beisila, why is the halacha almost universal like Beisila? Because Neichim va'aluvim hoyu, they were pleasant and humble. Which is interesting, it's a whole discussion in itself, the Rebbe discusses it, discusses it in other sikhs, that um, the, the um, Shammai's words may have been sharper, but Hillel was more humble. Shouldn't Allah follow the more, the more mentally, so to speak, uh, um, sharp uh, um, opinion? The answer is, Allah is the expression of Hashem's will. Hashem's will gets expressed best and most in the most humble of places. Of course, Hillel was a great sage, he was a Nasi, he was the Nasi of the Zana, but the, what, the, the, the deciding factor, so to speak, the Gemara says the swinging aspect of why we follow Hillel is because they had the schus that Hashem's 
ultimate will, which is halacha, the way Hashem wants us to act, come down through them. Since all of the things in paragraph 6, because all of Inyanim and Torah are exact, so we understand that the comparison of these two things, the translation of the Torah for Talmai the king, and the fact that the day that Hillel was sitting submissively before Shammai, what's the connection to that, to the day the Egel was made? It's not just in the fact that this was something that could lead to a greater problem, like the day of making the Egel led to the problem of the serving of the Egel. No, but there's also an inner content, there's an intrinsic relationship between the day the Egel was made and these two other items. In other words, here's the explanation. We know that all the commentators of the Torah take great pains and speak at great length to explain how <coughs> and what happened when the golden calf was made. I mean, it's so unbelievable. When you read it every year, it's again unbelievable. You come from the heights of getting the Torah at Sinai, and all of a sudden you plummet to the depths of the greatest mistake possible, idolatry. So they explain what they were looking for was not idolatry. It wasn't such a blatant, gross mistake. It was something more subtle than that. They were looking for a leader that should lead them in the place of Moshe, not in the place of God. They weren't looking for an idol, for a deity. They were looking for a connector, for a transmitter, for somebody who can represent Moshe to them. In other words, as they said, their claim was, as the Pasuk expresses it, for this man Moshe, took us out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. In other words, they wanted that there should be some kind of a interface, a intermediary between Hashem and them, based on the fact that that's what Hashem himself set up into the system, seemingly. As they're saying, where's Moshe? Hashem gave us a Moshe. It's not Hashem himself who took us out of Egypt without any intermediary, without any agents. Hashem could have come and plucked us out without any human intervention. He put in a Moshe to be his interface, to be his agent and intermediary to take us out of Egypt. And the reason for that is, in order for a Jew who's down below to be able to connect it to Hashem and serve him with his humanly koiches, with his faculties of soul, with his own intellect, with his own emotive, emotional faculties, so that is when Hashem's godliness is drawn down, so to speak, into a lower sphere in a way that you're able to know that there's a God, not just believe that there's a God. When we talk about belief, that's something that's higher than us being able to comprehend. That talks about the higher levels of godliness, the way Hashem is in and of Himself without enclosing Himself and lowering Himself, the way Hashem is unencumbered and totally free and poshut, totally simplistic, in, 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 in uh, it's probably a better word to translate that, uh, unenclothed, un, so to speak, uh, uh, without any, without any, uh, um, without the whole ishtalshlus, the chain of command, in which he brings himself, so to speak, in a way that we can try and climb the ladder of understanding him. So how does Hashem do it to make it that the earthly yidden should be able to have an experience of interacting and feeling, understanding Godliness. So Elikus becomes revealed to a person down below, a neshama who's in a body, but somebody who's able to assimilate, who's able to be, become one with a yichud nifla, with a, a, a wondrous oneness with Hashem, like Moshe Rabbeinu, who becomes called Isha Elikim, the man of God. 
In other words, he's a man, but he's totally consumed by godliness. A person, but for the benefit of mankind, of us, the Jews down below, that are able to, is able to be seen and heard. Hashem in his simplistic, pure, unadulterated, so to speak, uh, uh, um, uh, form is, is not something that the human experience can really assimilate into its humanness. So in order that Hashem should be able, should be, Elikus, the godliness, should be more drawn down and more um, appreciated and felt comprehended in this world in this physical world and in everything in all the experiences of the world what they understood is that that's why Hashem sent Moshe and therefore what they understood is if Moshe is no longer here they need something down below some kind of symbolism here in this world that through that Hashem will, will so to speak send down his powers but it's Hashem they just thought that's the way Hashem communicates similar by the way which what we find afterwards is that after the golden calf, Hashem does say, make for me a physical sanctuary, and I will dwell therein, from gold and silver. And the main thing in the sanctuary is unbelievably the ark with two keruvim. Keruvim just sound esoteric, if you don't know what they mean, but they mean cherubic figures, they're figurines, which is unbelievable. In the Holy of Holies are, forms, are two forms, human forms, angelic-looking, which represent Hashem speaking to the Jewish people. So, and that's the way Hashem chose to send down the resting of His holy Shekhinah to the Eden. And He says, I will speak to you from on top of the cover of the holy ark between these two Keruvim forms. And that's actually will help us understand what the Medrash says, something enigmatic. That where did the eagle come from? Where did the sin of the golden calf from? It actually came because at the time of Sinai, at the time of Revelation, when Hashem came down on Har Sinai, the Jewish people saw that he came with his holy chariot. And we know from the vision of Yechezkel that the holy chariot, one of the things is the face of a, of a cow, the face of a bull. And the Medrash says they dislodged one of those figures, figure of the bull, and they made it later into a golden calf. In other words, they wanted something down below that they can relate to, similar to what they had seen above in God's chariot. And even after they made the golden calf, before they, 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 they worshipped it, Aaron says, look, let's wait till tomorrow's going to be a festival to Hashem tomorrow. Because Aaron was still the ultimate optimist, thinking that tomorrow there can still be an amazing, incredible show of devotion to Hashem. What's going to happen? Moshe will come, and everybody will see, oy vey. No, no, no. The way Hashem wants it to happen is through Moshe, not through, a, not through a calf. And if they wouldn't have gotten up early in the morning, simply speaking, the narrative, and, and that's the way it was in Aaron's mind, was the people wouldn't sin. Moshe will come. He's going to burn the calf in the presence and with the acquiescence and agreement of all the Jewish people. And certainly no one's going to worship this eagle. And you know what's going to happen then? That there's going to be the greatest expression and disclaimer and protest and teaching of what it means, the unity of Hashem. And there's nothing besides Him, even though you think there's something that requires, we may need some, 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 um, some, some help from below. It can only be something that expresses Hashem, not that it has its independent existence. For example, an interface, an intermediary, who's like Moshe, who's some, an interface that connects. Hashem sends him and makes him a shliach, the Jewish people. That needs to be an appointment by Hashem. However, what happened is that some of the Jews did actually go and worship the 
calf the next day. They got up early. They were derived from this mistaken notion of wanting to have something that could help them grab on and have an experience with Hashem here in this world devolved and downward spiraled into becoming the sin of the golden calf. The opposite of the oneness of Hashem. Paragraph 7. This is what we mean that it was difficult like the day that the eagle, the calf, was made. Not that the day the calf was worshipped, because the fact that there should be a separate entity, even if the thought process of the Jewish people was then that godliness will be drawn down through it, but since it's not because of the command of Hashem, it's not a commandment of Hashem has... Mitzvah is commandment. Mitzvah is also tzavta v'chiru, which means connection. Because from this connection, because it wasn't an instruction of Hashem to make this calf, so from that can become a sin, where that calf becomes a representation of something independent and points to two authorities in, a, in, in our world, which God forbid, there's only one authority, God. However, when it comes from a commandment of Hashem, like it was in the Mishkan, where they actually built those figures, those kruvim, those figurines, then the message is that this is a way that Hashem is choosing to transmit the word of Hashem. There's no independent identity in this actual figure. And therefore, there can never become a mistake from that, that this is, God forbid, there's two authorities. No, we make this figure because Hashem, the ultimate authority, says, I want to have an interface, just like you know, from, the, from the main source of electricity, from the, from the hydroelectrical power, you need to create a grid, you need an interface, you need a transformer. Hashem chose, he says, this is the way I want to transmit. But that's Hashem's instruction. You can never get from there to making the mistake that it's some kind of independent thing. And that's what the Medrash says. We said the Medrash says that the eagle was dislodged from the source, which is the, the face of the bull which appears in God's chariots. The way it is above, it's part of Hashem's expression. It's part of Hashem's force. Hashem's um, um, accompanying um, um, uh, whatchamacallit, right? That's the way Hashem chooses to reveal godliness. However, when it's dislodged and it becomes something independent that starts from an initiative down below, not a part of God, of God's um, uh, um, retinue, God's um, what's another word I'm looking for? Uh, um, yeah? God's force. But then, if it's coming from below, as an initiative from below, to make something resembling of God's uh, forces now, you're missing the main component, which is when it's Hashem that comes with a chariot, what's felt is the chariot is nothing independent. It's Hashem who's riding in that chariot. Who's, 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 who, and everything else is just subsumed and submissive into it. If you make it as something independent, then it seems to have independent value. That, God forbid, could devolve into a Idolatry, full idolatry. Paragraph 8. Similar to this is also when we talk about the translation of the Torah into Greek that they wrote for Talmud. It was a difficult day, just like the day the eagle was made. What does that mean? When Moshe Rabbeinu, we started with the question, Moshe Rabbeinu translates the Torah. Why isn't that difficult? Moshe Rabbeinu translates the Torah. He's fulfilling the instruction of Hashem to write on the stones all of these words well explained in so many languages since it comes together with the Torah. In other words, the Torah is standing here in its source language and now we're expressing it by Hashem's command, by Moshe's command, which is the command of Hashem, 
into languages, you can't make a mistake here. Because in all the 70 languages that are being con con communicated here, there's the overarching instruction and the overwhelming Kedusha, holy of the Torah, the way it is in its original Lashon HaKadosh, and said by Hashem. However, when they translated the Torah according to the instruction of Talmai, the king, not according to the instruction of Hashem, ah, from that literal translation could come out a problem. In other words, Bereshis, Baruch Hashem, the beginning Hashem created, it could be that instead of learning that this is a statement that Hashem is the ultimate authority because Hashem creates everything in the beginning, the reverse can chas v'shalom be, be, be derived, that there's two authorities. And the first thing, Reishis, the first entity, created the second entity, Elikim Gafim. Similarly, in other verses of the Torah which were changed, adapted to fit to Talmai HaMelech, in most of them, it's because there could have been a misunderstanding which would lead to a, to a, to a, to a, to a misrepresentation of Torah. So they, all, they had to change it. And a big miracle that they all had the same idea of what to change. Chaudah 65, the Rebbe points out something fascinating. That really, we could give an answer, a simple answer, that the reason that Moshe Rabbeinu's translation of the Torah was not considered something negative is because when the Torah, when Chazal says that Moshe Rabbeinu said, Moshe explained the Torah to them in 70 languages, says Pirsho, he explained it. It doesn't mean a literal translation. Talmai was... Was, was demanding from the sages a literal translation. And the Torah doesn't translate literally in a way that is devoid of opportunities to make a mistake. Explaining means developing it into the spoken language where your translation conveys in another language what the original language wants to say. That's a simple answer, says the Rebbe. But the Rebbe gave us a, a, a more detailed answer. We're getting the deeper depth of what does it mean? What's, what's the mistake of the eagle? Why is the translation of Torah similar to that? Because like the day the eagle was made could lead to a mistake. Now let's look at it in the day of Shammai and Hillel, paragraph 9. Same way it is with the day that the eagle was made. It's more, in a more subtle way, it's when the Torah was translated to Greek because that could lead to a serious problem. Similarly, even more subtly, when we talk about Torah itself, the argument of Shammai and Hillel, there could be a mistake that comes from understanding, misunderstanding why Hillel submitted on that day. We know that Shammai, let's look at it in its Kabbalistic uh, uh, origin. We know that Shammai, and Beis Shammai, the school of thought of Shammai, Shiva of Shammai, his source is from Gevura, the attribute of strength, severity, or din, exacting judgment, strictness. Hillel, and the Shiva of Hillel, Beis Hillel, is from the attribute of kindness and mercy, compassion. And that's why, generally speaking, if you follow the pattern, Beis Shammai is more stringent, Beis Hillel is more lenient. What's the difference between strictness and judgmentalism and compassion and benevolence and kindness? You know what the difference is? The Medr says it, sums it up like, like following. There was a discussion between truth and kindness. Truth, kindness said, let the world be created. So many people will do kind things. Truth said, <laughs> shouldn't be created. You know what? Because when you look at, when you look in a strict way, people won't get it right. They're not going to get it right. They're going to mess up. So there's two ways of looking at the world. After the world is created, what does it mean when we take a look at those, we got over that hump. The world is created. Now let's look at the two perspectives. It comes out that 
the perspective of strict judgment still remains. It says the world is a, you got to be suspicious of the world. It's not a good place. You got to try and control it. It's, it's, there, there's a certain eneminess of it. It's not going to toe the line. Midas Achesed, kindness says, hey, generally speaking, look, the world's a good place. You got to just uncover the goodness. You got to draw down godliness in it, but don't look at it with, a, with, a, with a, such a strict eye. From this we understand in a deeper way the difference between the midah of Gevurah, the attribute of strictness, the attribute of kindness is from the attribute of sickness, of, of strictness, what you hear in the world is that it's a thing that in its own perception the world feels separate from God. And that's why what you need to do is limit it, break it, soften the world to be able to be subjugated before God. When you come from the position of the midah sachesa, the attribute of kindness, that looks at the world as being a place that is an opportunity to draw down godliness. So the, the notion that's then prevalent is, on the contrary, the world in potential, you just have to uncover it, is one with Hashem. So what you have to do is try and uncover and work with the world, bring into the world, reveal in the world its inner godliness. So when there's two opportunities, we can either be strict or lenient. Beishamai says the world is a place where you have to really be careful. Let's be strict about this. The default is not good. Let's stay away. If, we, if we're not sure, let's stay away from this matter of the world. Basil says let's be lenient. The world, generally speaking, is good until there are some things where really we have to stay away. Oh, so let, let's, let's uncover the inherent goodness in this particular thing. Let's not be so suspicious, so to speak. In the subtle of the subtle, dakos de dakos, when we go even more subtly, what comes out is that from the position of strict judgment, there could come out a notion that there's two authorities. In other words, that the fight is so strong that there seems to be a struggle between two competing authorities, and you need to fight with the negativity. Because you see the world is not submissive before God. When you look at the place of benevolence, which says really everything is just an opportunity to express the godliness inherent in it, it's saying, everything is God. Okay, there are, within the system, there are things that are meant to conceal and so on, and we have to uncover the, the truth of God in the world. But really, there you hear more the oneness, not the friction. And this is why there's a correlation to the day that Hillel sits submissive before Shammai, like one of the students, it was a difficult day, like the day the Egel was made, because what can happen... Allah today is like Shammai on that particular day. And when you have an overpowering of that strict judgment, of that strictness over the midah, the attribute of compassion and kindness, the Chachamim said, we have, we're scared, maybe through that in the future there'll also be this look at the world in general. And when you extrapolate that and take that down many different levels, that could be almost a feeling that there's competing authorities, that the world has more of a, a, a power than it should be assumed to have. Its power is only, it's a place where Hashem can be revealed. So that's where the Chacham is saying in a very subtle way, it could be compared to the day the eagle was made, which led, which could lead. One second, but here's a key word, paragraph 9. Those two days didn't actually lead to anything bad. The day the Torah was translated turned out to be actually a success. The mistakes weren't made because Hashem put it in the mind of all the sages to make the adaptations that need to be made into Greek. Hillel sitting in front of Shammai, that actually didn't happen. Actually, the halacha continued to be like Basil. Right? 
So we can say that on the day the eagle was made, there's a similar correlation. Let's relate that back. Actually, it's not all disaster the day the eagle was made. Because Aaron actually said it will be a holiday to Hashem tomorrow. What does that mean literally? Literally it means that there's a potential that tomorrow is going to be a holiday. And it was that way. In other words, tomorrow, Aaron was saying, if we do this, if we play this right, if it happens the way I'm optimistically thinking it will happen, that you guys will wake up late, Mesha will come in time, it's going to be a holiday for Hashem. In the things, two things that are compared to that day, the translation of the Torah to Greek and the, 70, and, the, and, the, and the Hillel and Shammai, actually, it did happen. The potential downturn didn't, didn't take place. And they did change. They said, Elikim Barabreshis, Hashem created the beginning. Instead of saying the beginning created Hashem. And what happened, therefore, is that actually the, the result was that now in Greek itself, the oneness of Hashem is, is more known. So the nations of the world are privy and are educated about the oneness of Hashem. So a reverse thing happened than what they were scared of. Even to the extent that the halacha became your latter right. The Sefer Torah and the Holy Books into, into Greek. And here's what the Rebbe says, because after the changes were made, that's probably what the Rishami means, that now it can be translated. And you can read it from it in the, in, 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 in publicly. And it has the halacha that it makes the hands tummy, which is something, a stringency put on, a safeguard put only onto holy books, and so on. Um, continues, the Rebbe, the, what took place, therefore, is the wholesome and complete refinement of the language and the writing of Greek, because now it's adapted and used in the holy, in the holy writing. So actually the reverse took place, not what they were scared of. So we can say also the same thing when Hillel, they, Hillel sat before Shammai. Not just was there not a devolvement, was there not a mistake made that now always the Allah will be said like Shammai, but on the contrary, this also influenced Shammai that he too had a um, commensurate bitl and submissiveness. And we, it could be, yes, Shlema says there, but that this is why in many places, in certain places, Beishamai is lenient. Because that meeting of minds where Hillel was submissive for Shammai, the Rebbe seems to be saying here, it, it, um, it, it influenced Shammai to also submit himself before Hillel. And in certain aspects, he also moves over to the lenient side. Um, yeah, there's a fascinating R79. I'm not sure if I get it. That it was, points out there's a Pirush in Eitzagayinim about this argument that says Hillel had to lower himself and submit himself in order that the halacha should come out in a particular way, and Shammai would not withhold from responding to him. And think that his words were cancelled. I'm not sure I understand this fully, but the Rebbe is saying in this interpretation of the Eitzah Ge'enim, comes out that even in this Machlekes, Hillel was actually doing this in order to create, in order to, 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 to influence something in Shammai, in this very Machlekes. So in other words, it's not that what came out in the future was 
Hillel's non-superiority in halacha, on the contrary. This changed Shammai also. So, it turns out that the two things that are compared to the making of the eagle, nothing bad happened there. They actually worked out for the good. But what about the day of the making of the eagle, literally, in the, in the making of the golden calf? Paragraph 11. Since the words of Tzaddikim are always there, they're eternal. Especially things that are written in the Torah, that's eternal Torah. So from this we understand that also the fact that Aaron said it's going to be a holiday Tashem tomorrow, about the 17th day of Tammuz, it's definitely going to be fulfilled. As it says in the writings of the Arizal, that there's a big secret in there, in the words of Aaron. And that is that Hashem is going to, in the future, transform the day of the 17th of Tammuz to a Yom Tif. And it turns out that Chag Hashem when he says it's going to be a holiday Tashem tomorrow, it is. But tomorrow can sometimes mean not just literally tomorrow, but after a time. Because it does become, Shivasa Tammuz is going to become a holiday. Right? And we can say, says the Rebbe, that in a pnimius way, in the, in the inner reading of this, this is actually the fact that this this Chag, this holiday, comes out through the Teshuva that the Eden do, the return that the Eden make after making the golden calf, which it didn't get, it didn't transform things immediately, but when Mashiach comes, that is what will be revealed, and therefore the oneness of Hashem, where they negate the golden calf, is going to become a revealed state of being in the world, also the way it pertains to the three unholy clippers, which are the source of all negativity and, and, and cover-up to Hashem now, but the sparks of those cover-ups, in other words, the reason for their being, which is to ultimately be revealed as being a farce, they, they, they resist Hashem, but the reason they're there to resist Hashem is to actually show when the curtains are, are, are moved aside, to show that they're not real, to show the oneness of Hashem. This is what was really taking place by the story of the calf. And in the end, it will be a holiday, as Aaron said. And we can say, similarly, when it comes to the translation, paragraph 12, we can say that similarly when it comes to the translation of the Torah in the 70 languages, when it, way it pertains to our generations, especially the way it pertains to... Um, especially the way it pertains to the wellsprings of Torah. We know that the previous Rebbe made great efforts that the deepest aspects of Hasidus, of the inner track of Torah, should be translated into the 70 languages. So that even those who don't understand Lashon HaKedish, the Holy Tongue, or don't even understand Yiddish, many, many works of Hasidus were said and written in Yiddish, but somebody who doesn't even understand, that's not Lashon HaKedish, but, it's, but even those who don't understand Yiddish should be able to have access to the inner work, to the inner wellsprings of the Torah in the language that they speak. And through that, what we have is the refinement of all the 70 languages, not just the way the 70 languages are somehow incorporated with the Holy Tongue, with Lashon HaKedish, but in the independent 70 languages, we have a translation and a re-articulation of those concepts into that language, which means that on the contrary, through bringing down these deepest aspects of the Torah and of the oneness of Hashem. Chassidus speaks about the oneness of Hashem in the most descriptive of terms. And by doing that in every language, through that, it becomes a refinement of the 70 languages and of the 70 nations. And that becomes a refinement of the world. And this hastens and brings closer what Mashiach promised the Baal Shem Tev, when your wellsprings are spread forth, Ka'osi mar do malke Mashiach, Mashiach is going to come.
And then what's going to be is that Hashem will transform all the nations to speak a one clear language, to call out to Hashem and to serve Him as one block. There'll be the oneness of Hashem will be prevalent. Everybody will be part of it. That's why, and then, then will be the transformation of these days, when the days between Shabbos uh, and Tishbah. To jubilance and joy, to good, good occasions, and it will be the end of the Mayayim and Sarim, the days of constraints, which started off Shivas Matamos. And Tishabav will become a big Yomtev speedily in our days with the coming of Mashiach. And the Rebbe puts in R22, look in the Pesikta and the Medrash on the, on the verse of Al Naras Bovel, Ein Simcha Bo Ela Betishabav. The rejoicing will come only on Tishabav. In other words, the biggest holiday will be Tishabav. May it be, be made of Yamena speedily in our days. Amen.